Hi, and welcome to another great life impacting message from Bridge Evangelical Christian Church. For more great content and to learn more about our church, visit becc.church. Enjoy. Uh, thanks, you, and uh, for leading us around the table in such a way to remind us that the King. The king humbled himself even unto death on a cross. What kind of king would do that? Only one king. He's our king. And today we've been reminded of that. What a humble king he is. If you have your Bibles with you, turn with me please to Psalm 23. As you are familiar, I use the NASB Bible. You may have something different. Um, that's okay, but I choose the NASB, <clears throat> not because it's American, but because it sticks closely to the original languages. And so that is more helpful to me as I study the Scriptures. Therefore, I say, if you have a Bible that doesn't do that, Please avail yourself to one. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they Comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. What a picture. You could imagine that picture, couldn't you? A lonely lamb with its shepherd sitting at the banqueting table with the wolves. You have anointed my head with oil. And what happens when that happens? My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning. Lord, open our hearts and minds and make your word come to life to us, Lord, that we will see you in a more splendid way. Lord, then we have already. Lord, do not let us think that we've seen you more splendidly than anyone else or that that's enough. Lord, we want to see you more and more glorious in our hearts and our minds. So please avail for us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name we ask. Amen. As we come to our text this morning, as we come this morning to the psalm, we must understand that this is one of the most popular psalms of the Bible, probably one of the most memorized portions of Scripture ever. And we must understand that it is popular for good reason. The psalm is a psalm of comfort when a loved one has passed. The psalm is a psalm of reassurance when one is doing life tough. This is a psalm of great hope when there seems to be no hope. 
And this psalm is a psalm of great joy when one's joy has been robbed. In fact, this psalm is a psalm that no matter what your situation holds, you find something in this psalm to meet your need. And so this morning, to be honest, I'm not sure what your need is. But I am sure that this psalm will help us to see and define the need we have and who it is that meets our need. Therefore, as we come to this popular psalm, let us first understand a number of things to help fit our minds for what the Lord through David says. Now, the author of the psalm is very obvious. I would think that one would not even have to look at the title at the beginning to know that the author is David. Who else could write such a psalm? Who else would understand the work of a shepherd better than David? Who else would understand the need of sheep better than he? Who else would understand the character of such an animal than one who had spent much time with them? Well, yet there is one who would know better than David. And that's where David's inspiration stems from. The true shepherd. However, we know that David was very familiar with this occupation and even more familiar with its clientele, the woolly sheep. It is the thought amongst many commentators that David was in his later years looking back as he wrote the psalm. So we would imagine that he is the king. Looking back to when he was the shepherd. Looking back to when Samuel had visited Bethlehem to anoint the new king. And after searching diligently amongst his brothers, Samuel asked if there were any others. To which David's father replied, Oh yes, the youngest, but he's tending the sheep. And they would have been surprised that God had chosen to anoint David, the youngest, the red one. One would have assumed that Eliab being the oldest sibling and bearing such a mighty name, my God is father. Or even Abinadab, my father is noble. Or at least Shammah, the astonishing one. Surely this was he. No, the Lord did not look at their countenance, nor did he look at their height, nor did he look at their stature, nor did he look at their age or their experience or their status in the community or any other outward thing that the world would judge as being the measure of a man's ability and subsequent uh, success. But as 1 Samuel 16 verse 7 says, but the Lord looks at the. And if we look at the heart of David, we soon discover that his heart was anything but perfect. But the Lord looks at the 
We discover that his heart was anything but perfect. His heart was as fallen as the next man's heart, if not worse. His heart would lead him to commit adultery. His heart would lead him to murder. And it would lead him to many other sins against God. But God had chosen David. Despite his fallen, corrupt heart. Despite God being an all-knowing God. God chose you. Despite your heart. God commanded Samuel to anoint the young shepherd boy just as he had said, For I have selected a king for myself among Jesse's sons. But that is the author, folks. A man after God's own heart. A man that despite his corruption, his fallenness, despite his lack, God chose him to be king. What was God thinking? Think about that question. What was God thinking about when he saved you? We know that this upset King Saul, don't we? And thus Saul wanted David's life. He wanted to ensure that, that he remained the king. He wanted to ensure that he remained in control. David looks back and he looks back over all this and remembers how like a defenseless lamb he ran and he hid and he cried out to the Lord and the Lord heard his cry according to Psalm 40 because the Lord had his hand on David because the Lord had chosen David and not Saul. Remember? The people chose Saul, but God chose David. A man with a corrupt heart, a fallen man. Why? So that David wouldn't boast in his glory. So as David wrote this psalm, he looks back and he remembers all of this and says, even though, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you, Lord, are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the, in the presence of my enemies, and you have anointed my head with oil, my cup overflows. Therefore, despite the threat of losing life, David found comfort where? In the Lord. Therefore, David recalls all that had happened, and his mind and his heart are reminded that the Good Shepherd 
attended to his need. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I have lacked in nothing. And we must understand that according to the psalm, the Christian life is not always a spring morning walk. In fact, sometimes it seems like it's never a spring morning walk. And that is good news. For the same shepherd who leads his sheep beside still waters also leads them through the valley of the shadow of death. And many a Christian will say, no, God doesn't do that. That's not of God. That's not what David did. And what of this valley? As you know, a valley is a dangerous place because it's like that, isn't it? When you're in the valley, there are ridges on both sides. And the valley is a dangerous place if you're a sheep because you've become easy prey to the ravenous wolves. Yet despite the danger, David could say, I fear no evil. I've got this. No. He said, I fear no evil for thou art with me. Isn't that comforting to know? That through the toughest of times, the most fearful moments of the Christian walk, the Lord is with us. Well, we must understand that this psalm teaches us that talking about the Good Shepherd should always lead to talking to the Good Shepherd. You would notice the first three verses. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Have you seen it? You would notice the first three verses use the personal pronouns in the first person. My and me. But notice the shift. the third person pronouns in verses 4 and 5. You and your, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you, Lord, you are with me. Your rod and, and your staff, they comfort me. You, Lord, prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You, and not he. And how often do we talk about the Lord, yet we forget to talk to the Lord? That's the difference between somebody who knows about something and somebody who knows. Christian life, folks, is not a religion. It is a relationship. And Jesus is as real to me today as you are, John. What about What about you? you? Talk more about him without talking to him. 
David teaches us to stop doing that. David teaches us that the talking about him should always lead to talking to him. When you talk about him, it just puts praise on your lips. Have you noticed that? You notice how when you talk about the Lord, you just can't help but say, Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. And now we must know the recipient of the psalm. Who was David writing to? Well, the recipient of the psalm is none other than David. He writes the psalm to himself. How do we know this? Because of the personal pronouns in the first person. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. This is David's sermon to himself. It's a note to self. It is his song that he sung as he reminisced of the past. It was to remind him of what the Lord had accomplished. Because the Lord had set his heart on David. And the Lord had chosen David. Therefore, David's life was to reflect the glory of God. Do we reflect the glory of God, people? Ask yourself that question seriously. Are you reflecting the glory of God? in what you say, in what you do, in what you think. I would say if you are not, you have not come to the glory of God. Because if you had come to the glory of God, you could not help but to display the glory of God in your life, in your mind, and in your words. Do you get what I mean? That's the God I know. He is a glorious God. He is a mighty God. He is a powerful God. We've been studying in 2 Peter and it says there in 2 Peter, by His divine power, He has granted, given, To every born-again Christian, everything pertaining to life and godliness. You don't have it. You've never experienced the divine power of God. What is the divine power of God? What does it look like? Let me give you a glimpse, a very small taste of it. Turn to Genesis chapter 1. And there we see the, the account of creation. Verse 1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. We're getting close to the divine power of God there. Verse 2, the earth was formless and void. 
and dark. It says there, darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then what happens? Say it out loud. And God said, let there be light. Do you see the divine power of God there? We've got darkness, no light. What does God do? He doesn't flick a switch. He doesn't strike a match. He says, let there be light. What does the light do? Does it think about it? Does it take its time and decide whether it wants to do this or not? What does the scripture say? The light jumped out of darkness. The word. The power of God's word. The light could not resist the darkness. Amen. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that powerful? Isn't that great to know that he is a powerful God and nothing resists his word? He said, light, come forth. Light came. Lazarus in the tomb. The same power. Lazarus, come forth. Did Lazarus lie there for a bit and think about this and go, well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty cozy, Lord. You know, I'm just I'm, I'm having a good sleep here. Don't annoy me. No, what does Lazarus do? He comes forth at the command. It was a command, folks. He wasn't given an invitation to come forth. He was commanded. The same command that brought light out of darkness, brought Lazarus out of the tomb. Peter's over there in the, in, the, in the water there fishing. He's hanging up his nets maybe. Jesus walks by and says, Peter, come, follow me. If you want to, think about it. See if it's going to be good for you. Now God, in the form of Jesus, commands Peter, come forth, look at it. It wasn't a choice for Peter to make. It was a command to be obeyed and that word came out of Jesus' mouth and Peter could not resist it. That is the power of God. A glimpse of it by his word. What happens when he uses all his power to create creation? I think we'd end up with a big bang. <laughs> Don't you reckon? But he chose his word to bring forth everything. That's the divine power of God. Praise the Lord. We have a powerful God. No wonder I can walk through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil, for that God, my God, is with me. And he is powerful. And he is fearless. And he is comforting. And he is full of grace. And mercy he must be because he chose David, a man with a corrupt heart. He 
This is David's sermon to himself. But we also must understand is that David writes as though he is one of the sheep. He writes as though he is one of the four-legged woolly animals he once tended to. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. Therefore, David writes, as it were, from the perspective of sheep. And so we ask, what was it that caused him to liken himself to such an animal? And then we must understand what sheep are like, right? Sheep are needy creatures. They are dependent creatures. They are vulnerable creatures. And they are foolish creatures. They are needy creatures in that they need the care of a good shepherd to lead them to green pastures. Otherwise, they're like the, the, the great hymn we sung this morning, they become prone to wander. So they need the shepherd to lead them to green pastures, to still waters. They are dependent creatures in that they can't clip their own wool. Have you ever seen a, ship share, a sheep share itself? <laughs> I thought I was back in New Zealand for a moment. <clears throat> you get the joke. But have you ever seen a sheep clip itself? If sheep become fly-blown, they can't clip themselves. Can they? So they need a good shepherd to clip their crutch and clean their wounds. They are vulnerable creatures. You know that sheep have no show against a wolf. The best they can do is bark. A dog barks, a lion roars, but sheep, they just bark. They are foolish creatures, have you seen how they behave? They follow the, the sheep in front. They follow the others. They have no care for where they're going as long as it's somewhere. They lack direction. This is a real news story from Turkey about 1,400 sheep who fell off a cliff. It said hundreds of sheep followed their leader off a cliff in eastern Turkey, plunging to their deaths while shepherds looked on in dismay. 400 sheep fell 15 metres to their deaths in a ravine in Van province near Iran, but broke the fall of another 1,100 animals who survived. <laughs> and shepherds from a nearby village neglected the flock while eating breakfast, leaving the sheep to roam free. And so David understands this about sheep and likens his own life to that of one by remembering the times when he was needy, when he was dependent on another, when he was vulnerable, and when he was foolish. Remember, he wrote the psalm as a king. Of all people to resemble themselves to an animal of great dependence, a king? I would imagine that a king of that time depended on no one that all would obey and serve the king and meet his needs. And yet David can't help but see himself this way, as needy, as dependent, 
vulnerable and foolish. If you remember Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel, he would have been too proud to liken himself to such an animal. He was happier to be the one to be worshipped, to be praised, to be in control. But God taught Nebuchadnezzar humility, didn't he? By causing him to become an animal. He ate grass. Oh, my dear friends, we must not desire to be kings. It would not be our desire to be leaders, to be ministers, to be pastors, to be elders. For that is God's call. But we must desire to be sheep. Oh, pity the man or woman who desires in their heart to be such a person in the church when the Lord has not called them. Oh, no, instead, people, desire to be the sheep and trust the Lord to be the shepherd. And trust the Lord that he caused the shepherds to lead. Why? Because the responsibility is too demanding for just anyone, especially if you've not been called. And the temptation to think of yourself as an Eliab, Abinadab, or Shammah, having countenance, having height, having stature, having age, having experience, appeal, education, and whatever else the Christless world tells you that you need, to be in office or to be a pastor is ungodly. It is worldly. And it is not for the church of God. Oh dear people of God, please desire to be sheep who trust the shepherd to be all that he says he is. And we know Jesus referred to his followers as sheep, don't we? In fact, if you wish, then the way to think of the Christian life is to see yourself as sheep. Needy, dependent, vulnerable, and foolish at times. Now, I believe it's no exaggeration that the Apostle Paul in the letter to the church at Corinth speaks of the Christian this way. When he writes, But God has chosen the foolish. God has chosen the foolish things of the world. Not to make you wise. doesn't say that, does it? Don't read into it what it doesn't say. But he says, He's chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise not to make us wise and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong not to make us strong and the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen the things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are so that no man may boast before God But by his doing, who's doing? What happens by his doing? You are 
in Christ Jesus. That's a great shepherd. Who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast who, where? And that is how the Christian must see themselves, folks, not as strong or mighty, not as wise or independent, but as needy, dependent, vulnerable, foolish creatures whose only hope is the good shepherd who is strong, who is righteous, and who is mighty. And if you have not known yourself this way, then this psalm will not read as it should to you, and the way you would typically read it would be more like this. I am my shepherd. I shall not want, I make myself to lie down in green pastures. I lead myself beside quiet waters. I restore my soul. I guide myself in the path of righteousness. Why? For my name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for I am with me. <laughs> my rod and my staff, they comfort me. I prepare a table for myself in the presence of my enemies. Oh, break me. I have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I don't think so. And many a man and woman who claim to be Christian do exactly this. They see the true shepherd as a steroid who gives one the ability to do the Christian life in their newfound strength. They see the true shepherd as the means by which the sheep are transformed to be more like lions. <laughs> what help does a lion need? None at all. The lion is strong, he is smart, he is independent and can care for himself. The lion is the king of the jungle. And he needs no one's help. Oh, dear friends, if this is you, I plead with you today, repent. Repent of that sin. And see yourself as David did, needy, dependent, vulnerable, foolish creature who belonged to the Good Shepherd. Why? Because if you don't see yourself as sheep, you have no need for the shepherd, do you? And your life will be lived in what strength you feel you have. It's in your strength you live the Christian life. Even though that contradicts the Scriptures. See, you will be like a religious zealot who, who strives hard to do the Christian life, yet your joy, your awe for the shepherd is lost. You might say you love Jesus, but do you? Well, is he like that... Asthma puffer that you pull out every now and again when you need a shot. 
Why would you need the shepherd when you are quite capable without him? So what of the shepherd, folks? What about the shepherd that tended to the need of King David? Well, unlike David, who was the shepherd who became king, the good shepherd was the king who became a shepherd. He was the apostle, what the apostle Paul described in Philippians 2.8, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He is, as the gospel writers explain, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And then we must not forget John the Beloved who, who recalled the words of the Good Shepherd when he said, I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Are you a sheep? Are you a sheep? Or a lion? Or a wolf? Let me ask you a question. What is the purpose of this psalm? What is David's point? What does he want for the reader to see? What does he wish for the reader, the singer, the child, the parent, the wife or husband, the man or woman of God, the pastor, the elder, the deacon, the ministry leader? What does he want us to see and to know? Why does the Good Shepherd do this? Is it because of the sheep? Is it for the sheep? Has he laid down his life for the sheep? Well, let me tell you now, that's what you think. You have just switched from a Christ-centered gospel to a man-centered gospel. Let me show you why. See, the most humbling thing about the psalm is that King David reminds himself that the good shepherd does this for his name's sake. He does all of this for his name's sake. If it was a man-centered gospel, it would be for your sake. But he does this for his sake. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness. Why? Doesn't it say that in your Bible? Oh, folks, don't miss that point. Do not miss it. Do not ignore it. Do not close your page and forget about it. It's all for his sake, for his glory. He is the self-existing God who doesn't need us to exist, does he? Because he existed before he created us. For how long? For eternity. Too often people think that God needs me more than I need Him. Never think that if that's the case, you've not met the good shepherd. 
does it for his sake. Remember Ezekiel 36, 22, 23. Okay, I, I want you to see this. It's important. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for what? For your sake. It is not for your sake, Israel, that I am about to act, but for my holy name. God is about to act because of his holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name. Who's going to do it? Not you and me. Does it say you and I are going to do it? No, God says he will do it. He will vindicate the holiness of his great name, which has been profaned among the nations. You have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. As we remember the psalmist who recalls how the Lord, uh, we remember the psalmist who recalls how the Lord led the captives out of Egypt and he writes this, nevertheless he saved them for the sake of what? Because they were poor people needing help? No, he saved them for his name's sake. For his name's sake. And again, the psalmist declares, Not to us, O Lord. Not to us. Not, you know what that means? It means not to us. It's not about us. Not to us, O Lord. Not to us, but to your name give glory. Because of your loving kindness, because of your truth. It's always about his name. And God is vindicating his name. Well, many a man will tell you that we need to vindicate it for him. And we do. But we need to remember that he is doing it. The reason why we're doing it is because he is doing it in and through us. Amen? Never think that the Holy Spirit is just up there waiting for you to, to call him down. Never think that the Holy Spirit is, is, is trusting in your wisdom, in your power, in your holiness to come down and help you. Otherwise, we've got problems with the Scriptures, don't we? Because the Holy Spirit isn't over there, isn't up there. Where is He? Where? Why do you have to call Him down? Why do you have to allow him to do anything that he can powerfully do without you? Were you there at creation? Were you helping him to create the world? To think that, that, that we can control him. Have you read the Bible? Have you read the Bible, folks? If you think that way, oh... My gosh, many a man in the scripture thought that. Who was the man who got, got stopped by a donkey? <laughs> and God used a donkey to talk to that man. What about the 
the people when they crossed over the Jordan into the promised land and God told them to walk around that city. Yeah, many of them may have gone away thinking, wow, look at what we've done. Oh no, that was all God's work. The same God who worked there works in us. If he's not working in you, come and see me or see John or see Bing or see Stuart because you may not be a Christian because how can the Holy Spirit be dormant? How can this, this Holy Spirit that we read about in the Scripture be dormant? And how can we ever think that we can control him and make him do what we want him to do? And who becomes God? Who becomes sovereign? You will have to start preaching a man-centered gospel. You would have to start teaching the doctrine of man's sovereignty. Let's not go there, folks. Why? Because we are told in Scripture that he does this for his name's sake. He is working for his glory. Does he need our help? To be honest, no. He did fine in eternity past. But by grace are we saved. And the, and the Christian is thankful that God would even use him. Are you thankful that God is using you for his glory to make much of Jesus Christ? Now quickly let us notice how David ends the psalm. He says, Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is very misleading, folks, so I don't want you to be misled here to think that David would say such a thing as though he had forgotten his past. He says, surely goodness will follow me all the days of my life, yet we know that his life was full of turmoil. It was anything but good, and yet he considers it to be good. Why? Now what we need to understand here is that David is not saying he was good, no, there is only one who is good. However, what David is describing here is the fact that whatever he experienced in life was due to the sovereign shepherd's concern for his name. Therefore, even the turmoil, even the suffering, even the heartache, even the fear, etc., that he considered to be good, was due to the fact that the one who gave it is good. And he gives good gifts. The problem is we expect those good gifts to come without pain and without suffering. You could say that this is the Old Testament version of Romans 8.28. We know that God works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. It is much like a gift of chocolates wrapped in crummy old newspaper. And the headlines on the crummy old newspaper speak of war 
They speak of destruction. They speak of suffering. They speak of persecution. And they speak of death. Before you open that, that gift, you can't help but read those headlines and take it in. Before anyone can enjoy the sweet taste of chocolate, they must first work their way through the crummy old newspaper with its headlines of much suffering. But alas, once through the pain, one can savour the joy of what the suffering hid. And then they will say, it is good. And so it is, folks. At times, the same for the Christian who suffers. It is oftentimes not until we get past the suffering that we get to taste the sweet joy of Romans 8, 28. Oh, do not fear suffering. Do not fear pain. Do not fear heartache or discomfort. Do not fear persecution. It is only the wrapping of something more splendid and more joyful. But you must unwrap it first to taste it. So it's often times that until we get past the suffering that we get to taste the sweet joy of Romans 8.28 and thus we can sing along with David. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Dear people, we are at the moment walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Fear no evil. The Lord is with us. His rod and his staff, they comfort us. And we wait on the Lord to lead us to green pastures where we might taste of the fruit of eternal glory. But till then we savour the sweet nectar of his word to sustain us through this time until he calls us home. We wait for the day where we will be like sheep beside still waters. And the storms of this day will be put behind us. And they will be but a distant memory. But till then, we drink from the muddied waters of life. And at the same time, we drink from the cup of the Lamb who was slain before the foundations of the world. And we are sustained. For we at last will see him, Coram Deo, face to face. And if we are sheep, we will cling to the Good Shepherd.
and not any other. No man, no woman, for the good shepherd will never leave us, nor will he forsake us to the bite of the ravenous wolves. Let us pray. Father God, we come to you today. We thank you that you, Lord, sent your Son, our Lord Jesus, to be the good shepherd, to shepherd us, your people. Oh Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the good shepherd, that the, the good shepherd laid down his life for his sheep. We thank you that, Lord, it doesn't end there, for you comfort us in times of trouble. You bring hope where hope seems to have faded away. And you bring joy to our needy hearts because your word says to count our trials that joyful time. Oh Lord, all that means is that we can only trust you. We can only cling to you. We can only trust that you will lead us to the right pastures. That you will feed us your word. And that you will one day put us down by still waters. Until then, Lord, be our strength. Be our source of comfort and Keep our eyes fixed on you, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before you, Lord, you endured the cross and all its pain and suffering and discomfort, despising the shame. You are now seated at the right hand of the Father. You have left us not alone. We have your word. And we have the Holy Spirit to bring comfort. Lord, help us as a church. Meet our need, Lord, we pray. Glorify yourself, Lord, that the world may see, that Murray Bridge may see. The great and holy powerful God, but there is none like you. Lord, we pray it in Jesus' name.